This week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisisa, packed with lots of different topics. So, famously, the Parsha is known for the sin of the golden calf, the Egel Azov. Which is, by the way, I'm sure I've said this before, but just a very interesting little thing. This, this week, in Shul, the Egel Azov is read, the golden calf is read on the second Ali, the second call-up, right? Now, normally if you look at every Parsha, it's not always even, but the seven aliyahs, the seven call-ups are somewhat even. This week it doesn't work. This week the first two are very long, and then others are very short. And it's always a question why. So they say a word like this, that there's a halacha, you're not supposed to call up someone for an aliyah if it contains a prohibition that you know they've transgressed. You can't call up a thief for the part where it says do not steal. It's not, not nice, like it's, it's not, a, not a nice thing to do. So when it came to the Egel Azov, really on different levels, but all the Jews were guilty of the sin, except for the tribe of Levi. So you have to somehow get the Parsha in a way where you call up a Levi, or a Kohen, but a Kohen or a Levi. So you make the first one long, and then make the second one also long. That's why the story of the Egel Azov is in the second Aliyah, so we call up a Levi. Because we're all guilty, except for the tribe of Levi. All right. So that's the, that's the theme that the Parsha is known for. But there are other themes as well, other parts of the Prussia, and we're going to try to give a little bit of attention to some of the other parts as well today. But just to give you a little bit of an overview, just to the topics, there's about 11 topics in this week's Prussia. We have the mitzvah of the giving of half a shekel, we have the mitzvah of the building a basin, a key or a sink in the basin of Mikdash. We have the whole Prussia talking about the special anointing oil that they concocted to anoint kings and to anoint kohenim and so on. The mitzvah of offering incense, ketores, um, the, the Parsha revisits the commandment about gathering the people in charge to build the Mishkan, but warns us to keep Shabbos, which we learn that if you can't build the Mishkan on Shabbos. Of course, we have the Egel Azov, the Golden Calf, the whole follow-up to the Egel Azov, which is Moshe Rabbeinu going all out and pleading, as we talked about last week, to Hashem to forgive the Jewish people for the Egel Azov. We have, as a response to that, we have the revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy in Yom Kippur, we say, Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachel, Machanan, that's all from this week's parasha. In fact, we mentioned in the davening of Yom Kippur is all from this week's parasha. Um, we have the giving of the second Luchos, which was very uh, important, significant, and came on the day of Yom Kippur, which was the atonement of the Jewish people. We have one of the times the Torah talks about the Chagim in this week's parasha, which is why on Cholamot Pesach we actually read a part of this week's parasha. And then at the end, we have a description of Moshe Rabbeinu going up the mountain and coming down the mountain and so on. Okay. So that's, um, that's, the, that's the overview of the parasha. So let's have a look, first of all. I'm going to tell you a few different things. All do is we'll have a look at the machzis ha-shekel, the half a shekel. I'm going to spend some time on the golden calf. And at the end, I'm going to discuss something about the basin, the kiar, which has in it a very beautiful lesson, which we can all apply to ourselves, I hope. Um, Okay, so let me just share the screen here. Give me one second. I think this is right. There we are. Okay. Now. Yeah, so this is number one on the handout here. Okay, so if we look at number one in the handout, we read about the Machsah Shev. Let's have a look at it a little bit. So it says, By Daber Hashem and Moshe Lehman, Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu saying, Incidentally, this parsha we read this, this week, and then we're going to read it again next week, because not the whole parsha, just the part about the half a shekel, because every year around Purim time we have what's called the four special Shabbos, 
we add an extra piece. The first one is called Shabbos Shkolem, which is Shabbos Mavarchim. So we can read this particular. We can read this particular piece twice in a row. Okay. So by Dabar Hashem, Moshe Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, saying, "Kisiso es roish bnei Yisrael if kudahem." When you count the Jewish people, the nos and the the expression if you lift up the head means when you count them. Each one has to give like an atonement for their soul. When you count them, there shouldn't be a plague if you count them. One of the things, this is one of the places where we learn, you're not supposed to count people. Um, you say not one, not two, or use a possible, you don't, quite, you don't count people by numbers. Okay. And if you want to count them, like a census that was taken in the Midbar, in the desert, you count, like each one had to give half a shekel, and you count the half a shekel, right? Okay. But it became a yearly tax anyways to give the half a shekel. It's a mitzvah of giving half a shekel. Says the Pasuk, This is what you should give all those that are of army, military age. They should give machzis ha-shekel b'shekel ha-kodesh. They should give a half a shekel. And the currency we're referring to is something called the holy shekel, which is about double in value of the normal shekel. Esrim geira ha-shekel. The Pasuk tells us that there are 20 geira, just a currency thing. In each shekel, and therefore machtis a shekel, half a shekel, which will make ten geira, trumala hashem. Just skip by the next line and look at the last line, number one. Yeah. It says, Ha'ashir lo yarbe, the rich may not increase, the hadal lo yamit, and the poor may not decrease. In machatis a shekel, half a shekel, it has to be exactly equal each person. Lasse says, Trumas hashem. To give the truma to Hashem, lechaper al nefeshesechem to atone for their neshama. One of the things we know that the machzah shekel was an atonement for the golden calf as well. And we know the famous medrash. This is something we have talked about in the past, but just to mention again that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't quite sure what it meant, and it says that Hashem showed him matbeya shel esh, a coin of fire. Right. So the famous question is: It's not. I mean, it's, what's, what's not straightforward about, about uh, half a shekel, right? It's a currency, it's half a shekel, one skip. There are times that we see where Moshe Rabbeinu had difficulty. For example, he had difficulty in understanding exactly what point of the birth of the moon every, every month, the astrology of it, should mark the Rosh Chodesh Hashem showed him. But that we understand because that's a complicated thing. Or it says he had difficulty on how we're going to build a menorah. Because the menorah was a very intricate design. But Hashem wanted it to be built all from one piece of gold, which is very, very difficult. You gotta, yeah. So Hashem showed him a menorah of fire, whatever. There are a few things like that, which make sense, but this one is difficult. So, the different Mepharshim, so one of the famous Mepharshim is that Moshe Rabbeinu's difficulty was not what a half a shekel is. That's obvious, it's a currency. He didn't understand the concept. Hashem said it should be koifer nafshay, it should be an atonement for the soul. He couldn't understand how giving a half a coin even if it's a, a significant value, but it's half a coin nonetheless, will be quite for nafshah, right? Will be an atonement for the person's soul. I mean, it's not that, couldn't be, it can't be that easy. So Hashem showed him, at shall eish, a coin of fire. And Hashem was showing that sometimes not what you give, it's how you give it. You know, if it comes with the eish, it comes with the fire, it comes with the enthusiasm, it comes with the, the bread, so to speak, and even, even a half a shekel can be a koi for nafshah if it's the right intent, it's the right kavonah. The Noyam Alimelech says a little bit of word on the, on, the, on the fact that that's Marbeya Shal Eish, that Hashem was showing him a lesson in general about money and about resources and about wealth. 
that the wealth that we have, Hashem showed him a matbeah shal a coin of fire. What does that mean? Just like fire, right? So we say that fire can be amazingly destructive, as we know. On the other hand, it can also be amazingly beneficial. It can bring warmth and light. That's what fire is. Right? So fire brings light, it brings warmth, beautiful, but it can be incredibly destructive if it goes wrong. So Hashem was saying, Hashem showed him, says the Medrash, a coin of fire. So we should understand that the blessings that Hashem gives us, like wealth and affluence, or whatever the case, or the resource that Hashem gives us, is like matbeya shaleish. It's like fire. If we use it properly, it brings warmth, it brings light, it's beneficial. The world benefits, we benefit, the world becomes a better place. We're doing what Hashem wants. If we don't use it correctly, if we use it selfishly, it becomes matbeya shaleish, it becomes a destructive force, causing people, as we know, as we see this in society very clearly, it can cause people not happiness, even though people think it wouldn't bring happiness, but it doesn't, it brings unhappiness a lot of times and, and it can be a destructive thing. People fight over it, there's dispute, there's conflict, and it can be a very bad force. So that's what Hashem was showing Moshe Rabbeinu, teach the Jewish people about giving, because matbeya shal esh. It's like coin of fire. If you use your wealth to, for mitzvahs and to help others and to give tzedakah and for other good things, then it brings warmth and brings light. Okay. Then there's an interesting piece from, I don't actually want to say for it is, it's quoted somewhere else, Zohov Shvo, from Rab Shimon Grinfeld. I'm not sure what sure that is. But he uh, says an interesting idea anyways. He says, why did Hashem say that the Oshi la yarbe yamit? And he says, why is it a half a shekel? Why a half a shekel? So he says, half a shekel is because there's a concept of humility. Right? It's half. A person always has to know that they're only half. So we're always missing, we're always lacking. Without our connection to Hashem, we are nothing. We're only a half. We're incomplete. And why was that so important specifically in this mitzvah? So he says a very interesting idea. He says, because this mitzvah was actually designed to highlight the importance of every individual. Right? Because counting, there's a famous concept in the laws of kashras, right? So I'll, just, I'll just share with you sort of briefly and generally. So we know that in kashras we have something called bittel. So for example, if you have, um, I don't know, some tray stuff that falls into a pot of kosher food, and the 60 times amount of kosher food versus the, the tray food, it's still kosher, it's all bottled, it's neutralized, it's nullified. But there are, it's called bittel, that's what it's called, right? Nullification. There are certain things, however, in halacha that do not become bottle, even if you have a hundred or thousand. They don't become bottle, right? The Gemara talks about this. They don't, they don't become nullified. Why? Because they've got, in, they've got significance, they've got importance. One of the things that is in the list of things that won't, don't become bottled is something called a dover shebeminion, right? Something that you count. What does that mean? So, you know, when you go to the store, right? So certain things are bought, for example, uh, I don't know, you buy beans for a challenge, right? You don't ask for three dozen beans, you ask for half a kilo of beans. So they're sold by weight, right? Which means that each bean in itself is not that significant, you need a bunch, right? You don't go counting beans, right? If you go buy eggs, for example, it's different, right? You don't ask for a kilo of eggs, you ask for a dozen eggs, two dozen eggs, yeah? Because it's, it's bought, it's a dovish, it's things that, it's things that are counted out. Normally the things that are counted out are things that are more expensive or more significant or whatever the case is. So, 
The Gemara says that something that is bought, if it's a thing that is normally counted out as opposed to something that's purchased in a bunch, that doesn't become both. So the Farshim explained that's why Hashem, sorry, that's why Hashem tells Moshe to count the Jews. We know that we are kifso achas ben shivim ze'evim. We are one sheep. It's no known idea, right? That we are like a small lamb among seventy wolves. That's the existence of the Jewish people. So by laws of bittel, we should be under tremendous threat. Hashem says, no, we're not, because we're a Dover Shrebaminya, we are something that we are counted out, every individual is important. Right? So therefore, the counting of the Jewish people itself highlights the importance of every person. Oh, this comes the importance of every person, Hashem says, but don't forget to be humble. Because as soon as you have a mitzvah that's going to highlight the importance of every person, the danger of that idea, the danger of that message is arrogance. So Hashem says, no, arrogance is a terrible thing, as we know, arrogance, mamash, Stops a person's connection between him and Hashem, right? So therefore, the way we're going to count the Jewish people, the very process that we're going to count the Bnei Yisrael, highlighting their importance so they don't become bottled, they don't become nullified, is by asking them to give a machzis hashekel and to make sure that they don't, uh, they don't have arrogance. That's a half. Following on, it goes into the whole discussion, other Mephoshim say this also, we have to also examine this concept of the, poor, the, the rich man shouldn't give more and the poor man shouldn't give less, right? So you guys in the whole discussion about this concept of arrogance. Now we know that arrogance is completely trafe. Arrogance is a terrible thing, right? But we also know that everything Hashem created has a purpose. Right? In some weird level, even arrogance, not like everything else, because normally we say everything else can be channeled and arrogance needs to be removed. But the concept of strength, assertiveness, which is not really arrogance anyway, but, it's, but it is a certain, other words, sometimes the removal of arrogance can result in a misunderstanding of what removal of arrogance means and a person can become unnecessarily humble or falsely humble. And we know that's a big problem because we, the Pasuk tells us, Hashem, when a yid serves Hashem, right? When a yid serves Hashem, uh, he needs to be assertive, he needs to be proud. We need to have the strength to stand up to social pressure, to stand up to those that scoff us, to stand up for morality, to stand up for what's right, and so on and so forth. Okay? So therefore, like this, a person has to know that yes, he has to be humble, but he also has to have the assertiveness. So then they say the pshats like this, have a look in the pasuk. I'm going to just have a look at that last pasuk again about the rich man and the poor man. And I'll just read it to you a little bit of a different interpretation. It says the rich man shall not increase. And the poor person should not decrease. Right? Simply meaning that if you have to give half a shekel. What's the message? So there's a, 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 a Hasidic or a deeper way of reading a Pasuk. Where the word loy is like a noun. Loy means self-negation. Self-negation. Loy, the not. Right? I'm not. I'm, I'm nothing. Right? Heoshir... The person who's very rich, and rich doesn't only mean physically rich, but even spiritually rich, accomplished a lot. Then when a person does that, it's a very accomplished person. The obvious threat, the obvious danger is arrogance. So Ha'ashir, the, the, the rich person, the loy, the negation, yarbe, should increase. Not, 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 not loy yarbe. The loy, noun, verakomas, yarbe, should increase. 
But the Hadal, the poor person who thinks there's nothing and about to give up hope and feels like a shmata and thinks, who am I anyways? And I can't really serve Hashem. And it's just a lost case. The loy, the negation, yamit, it should decrease. Because it's not a good thing. Which means you should gain more certainness. And so I saw this. It's the first time I've seen that shot. It's a very beautiful interpretation of this idea of why the poor person can't give more than because then it fits into the words and it has that message. Okay. So that's the uh, that's a little bit on the on the Machzis Hashem. Now let's go to the Egel Azov. We've talked a lot about the Egel Azov in previous years, but this year we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about Aaron's role, Aaron Hakohen's role in the Egel Azov and the Golden Calf, because it's quite a strange story. If you look, if you read the story as it reads, Aaron actually made the Egel Azov almost, right? He kind of participated and he helped the people make it. He tried to delay, right. Okay, so we have to know, so we have to know what, he, what exactly was... But then he ended up doing it almost, right? And he ended up building the Mizbech. He ended up building the altar. He thought that Moshe Benu would come earlier. thought it would take a very long time. It didn't. Moshe Benu only came in the afternoon. In the meantime, they got up in the morning and they used the altar, right? Now, it's interesting to understand his motives because... And why he was doing that. Because there was another approach which didn't work very well, but there was another approach. Khur, Aaron's nephew. They went to Khur first, apparently. Right? Rashi tells us this, Medrash tells us this. And Khur said, Eglazov, are you mad? Avod is Aaron. And they killed him. Right? Now, one could argue, okay, they killed him. So, maybe Aaron was thinking, well, it's not going to help if, if, if I... I mean, he'll kill me also, right? So to protect himself. But that can't be because it's Avodah Zorah. And Avodah Zorah you have to give up your life for, right? It, it's not, okay, so it's not, it's not my problem what's going to be tomorrow. If I'm asked to serve Avodah Zorah, I have to say no. It's one of the three cardinal sins. That's what's called Yarog Val Yavar. You have to be killed rather than transgress. And, and maybe Aaron should have done the same thing. And yet we know, in, and, 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 and Moshe Rabbeinu was a little bit surprised when he came down. I mean, that's the, the Psuki read, like he, he asked you, what did you do here? What's going on? Right? Aaron says, I've tried, I this, I that. Now we know what, whatever Aaron did do, we obviously know that it was, it was really good. Why? Because after the Egel Azov, we know that Hashem appointed Aaron to be the Kohen God. As the Pasuk says, Vayavdel Aaron Lahakdisho, he may, he, he, uh, he separated him to make him really holy, right? So what is going on here? Let's have a look at the Psukim a little bit. Right? Because I'm going to read this on the Psukim, so you'll see, because we're going to learn something that we need, to, we need the Psukim for. So let's just read exactly what happened here. Bayar, no, it's number two, sorry, let me bring... Uh, you have it on the... Bayara Omki Boishesh Moshe, and the nation saw that Moshe Benu was... Was delayed. Lorelis bin Har from coming down to the mountain. By you call Haomal Aaron, so the the nation gathered around Aaron. By Yehovah Elohim, and they said, and they said to him, "Come, Masay Lano Elikim, make us a god. Asher Yelchula Fanenu that will be able to lead us. Kizem Moshe Ish, because this Moshe man, Asher Halonu Merisan that took us out of Mitzrayim. Lo Yedanu Mehoyoloi, we don't know what happened to him. So by Yehovah Elohim, Aaron's Aaron plays the game, and he says, "Okay, Parku Nizme Hazov Asher Ba'Ozdei Nesheichem, go and take the gold." Which is part of the jewelry of your wives, Benechem and your daughters, and your sons and your daughters. They'll be alive, bring it to me, I'll do it for you. Now, what did he have in mind? 
he, he knew that if they go to the women, the women are not going to want to give up their, their jewelry, partly because they don't want to, and second of all, because they believed. Women actually weren't partic- didn't participate. They have more muna, we know that. It didn't help, because what the, the, the guys do, knew that, they were very enthusiastic. So it says the next passage, They took the jewelry that was on their faces. The men, the, the men jewelry. And they bought it to her, because they knew they weren't going to start up with their wives. So they, did it, they brought it very quickly. So he took it with him. And, and they formed it. And then they served, they served it. And they, and they said, Here's your God, the Jewish people, that took you out of Egypt. Right? Then the next passage says something interesting. The next passage says, By Yar Aaron, Aaron saw this. By Yiven Mizbeach. Now, listen carefully to this passage because well, there's another Pshat in this passage which Rashi brings, which I'll show, show it to you later. By Yar Aaron, Aaron saw. By Yiven Mizbeach Lafonim. And he built an altar. By Yikra Aram Ayomer. And he called out to saying, Chagla Hashem Mochar. Tomorrow will be a festival. What he really meant was he hopes that Moshe Ben will come in time. So they don't actually offer sacrifices to the, to the Egel Azor, which didn't happen. They got up the next morning. They, they danced around the Egel. They brought sacrifices. And the Pasuk says, which I didn't copy, by Yekumul Litzachek, they got up to play. And we know what that means. We have a, a reference to that elsewhere in the Chumash. Playing Litzachek means Avodazara. Uh, not Avodazara, um, murder. And that's a reference to the fact that they had murdered Khur. They had murdered Aaron's nephew before coming to Aaron. So what is going on here? What is Aaron's role? What exactly is the issue? I'll share with you a fascinating little piece from the Shulei Pinchas. It says the following. It's a little bit of a journey. So let's try, try and, let's try and, it's a fascinating concept. I should preface, it's a fascinating concept that's also a dangerous concept. And therefore it's reserved for people who are on very, very high levels, who know that what they're doing is exactly for Hashem's sake. Right? And you'll see why I'm saying that as, as we get into it. So the Arizal says okay, that Aaron was a Gilgul, a reincarnation of Horon. You know who Horon was? Okay. Horon was Avram's brother. Avram had a brother, Horon. Avram had two brothers, actually, Nochar and Horon. Right? Horon died, it says in, the very, in, in Lech Lecha, when Terach, Avram's father, was still alive. But there's a background story to that. What's the background story? The background story was like this. You know the story, the famous story, which is only hinted in the Chumash, but it's, it's, it's in the Midrashim and the Gemara, that Nimrod, the king Nimrod, challenged Avraham Avinu to serve idols. Right? He asked him, what do you believe in? Do you believe in the idols? He says, no. Do you believe in Hashem? Yes. And he threw him into the furnace. Right? Um, and he was miraculously saved. Apparently, Horon was also there. But Horon was unsure what he believed in. And he decided to hedge his bets. He to see. He knew that he's next. Nimrod is going to ask him as well. Being part of the family. right? He's going to see. If Avraham Avinu gets miraculously saved, then he's, going to, then he's going to also say he doesn't believe in Avodah If Avraham Avinu gets burnt, he's going to say he does believe in Avodah He believes in idols. Right? He's part of the pagan worship experience. So what happened? Avraham Avinu gets saved. Nimrod says to Horon, what about you? He says, no, 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 I believe in God. Threw him into the furnace and he got burnt. Why? Because he didn't do it properly. It was conditional self-sacrifice. Right? 
Abraham Avinu got thrown into the furnace thinking he's going to die. Ready to give himself up for Hashem, ready to give his life up for Vedas Hashem, not to bow down to idols. Haran was like a herahin, you know, yeah, if it works, <laughs> if it's good for me, I'll do it. If not, I won't do it. That's not good enough. Hashem not doing a miracle for him. Okay. Aaron, now, was a Gilgul of Horror. Why? First of all, we see it because Aaron says that result. Take the word Aaron, Aleph, Hey, Resh, Nun. It's the same letters as Horon with an Aleph in the beginning. We'll see what the significance of the Aleph is in a minute. Right? So what does it mean he was a Gilgal of Horon? He was supposed to come and fix Horon. What did Horon do wrong? So apparently says the Arizal, that Horon was supposed to fix, listen to the language, he was supposed to fix the Avoidazora of Adam Arisha. And he didn't fix it properly. Now, Horon was given a. Uh, uh, we'll see what Avodah Zarah of Admish was in a second, right? But Horon apparently was given the task of being presented with a challenge to overcome Avodah Zarah and to have Masiras Nefesh, to have self sacrifice, self control, not so Avodah Zarah. He did it in a very wishy washy day, he decided he'll only do it if he thinks it's going to work for him, and therefore he didn't really fix what Adam Arishan did, and Aaron was supposed to fix. We're going to see how Aaron fixed it in a minute. What does it mean, Adam Arishan So this itself needs to be understood, right? So it's an interesting little take on the sin of Adam Arishan. Adam and Chava ate the fruit, right? Why did they eat the fruit? So we always see it as a sin of temptation. You know, the, the Nachash said, the snake said, you should, eat, you should eat the fruit. They saw it was delicious, it looked very good. Couldn't hold themselves back, so they ate the fruit. That's certainly one way to explain the sin of Adam Arishan and Chava, right? But actually, others explain it a little bit more than that. It's a bit deeper than that. Because they were responding to the nachash. They were responding to the snake. The snake spoke words of heresy. Right? He said, Hashem knows. Hashem doesn't want you to eat the fruit. You know why? Because he knows when you eat it, you're going to become smart like him. He doesn't want competition. He'll be able to do what he can do. Which is complete denial of Hashem's existence in a proper way. It's mamish like a vodazaris. It's like idol worship. And they didn't, they didn't protest. In other words, if anything, Adam and Chava should have not eaten the fruit to protest the words of the snake. The heresy of the snake, the, the, the heretical words that he said. And they didn't. So the sin of Adam and Rishon wasn't just a sin of temptation, it was also a sin of idol worship. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I think you say so. Yeah. And therefore that needed a tikkun. And that Avedazara aspect, right? The Avedazara aspect of the food, of, of the sin, there's the temptation aspect, lack of self-control aspect, and then there's the Avodah aspect. That Avodah aspect, Horon was supposed to fix, and he didn't. So now comes Aaron, and Aaron's a Gilgul of Horon, and he's supposed to fix it. He's supposed to show true self-sacrifice for Hashem. Which is a very strange thing, because if anything, it seems like he didn't. And now he's saying that Aaron did Aaron fixed what Horan did. So what does it mean? He, he didn't. He, he actually participated here. Right? Okay, he was mistaken. He thought it would take time. At the end of the day, he didn't do what Chur did. Right? He didn't do what Chur did. He actually participated in, in the sin. Right? And also we need to understand what's the, what's the Aleph at the beginning of Aaron? What's the significance of the Aleph? Right? So it brings like this, a beautiful thing. 
Just look back at the Pasuk, the last Pasuk at number two, right? The one that we said that Aaron built him is Bech. I don't know, I forgot to, I forgot to copy, copy that Rashi. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So look at the Pasuk. It says, Vayar Aaron. Aaron saw what happened, right? He saw what happened. Vayiven Mizbeach Lefonov. Yeah? And he built a Mizbeach before him. And then he said, there'll be a festival for Hashem tomorrow. Says Rashi, an amazing thing. The word Mizbeach can be read, as, you know, it's always in the Torah without vowels, correct? It's meant to be the word Mizbeach, which means an altar. But it says, that another way to read the Pasuk is, Vayar Aaron Aaron saw, Vayiven, and he built, no, sorry, Vayiven, and he understood from the word Bina. What he understood? What do you understand? Mizbeach can be read, Mizovuach Lefonov. He understood from he who was slaughtered in front of him. A reference to Chur that was killed. And Aaron understood that he's got to do it differently. He understood Mizovuach Lefonov. The reason that he participated is because he understood Mizovuach from he who was slaughtered in front of him, i.e. Chur, who had been killed for refusing to have anything to do with Egel Azov. Now, what did he understand? See, here comes an unbelievable thing. It comes from a Gemara. The Gemara says, why actually Aaron participated? Why didn't he give it? So it's a Gemara, it's a Medrash in different words, but it's, it's a concept that's brought down. Why didn't, why didn't Aaron, why did Aaron participate? Why didn't he give up his life? Why didn't he give up his life like Chur did? So the Gemara says a fascinating thing. The Gemara says, he saw Chur being killed. She says, fine, I'm ready to be killed too. I'll say no, and they'll kill me. What's going to happen then, is they will immediately be punished with a very, very strong and harsh Golos. They won't go into Eretz Yisrael, they'll go into Golos, and it'll be very, very bad. How do you know that? Well, he foresaw something else. No, how do we know that? How do we know the severity of killing a Kohen Godel? Because don't forget he was a Kohen Godel, right? Aaron was the Kohen Godel, the high priest. There's a story in Tanakh, a very, very sad story. What do I do with it? One second. I'm to show you that. It's a story in the time of the king of Yoyosh. It's a time in the, in the Tanakh, the first Besamikdash. Generations before the Besamikdash was destroyed. It's a very gruesome and very, very tragic story. It's a story that's hinted to in the Megillah of Eicha. And it's a story which we read about and we, we recount it and we tell about it on Tisha B'av, right? Because during the reign of Yehosh, there was a big Novi. There was a Novi, a big Novi called Zechariah. And that Zechariah Hanovi was also a Kohen Gadol. And on Yom Kippur once, which happened also to be Shabbos apparently, he went into the base of Mikdash and he gave a Musar, he gave a speech to the people, trying to get them to mend their ways. People were serving of a desert, people were doing the wrong thing, right? And, they, and, and he says, it's, not, it's, it's very bad. And he threatened them, there's going to be a Golis and there's going to be this if you don't mend your ways, etc., etc. The result of what he did was, is that they got together, they rebelled in the base of Mikdash, and they, the Yidin killed him 
on Yom Kippur, on Shabbos, in the Beis HaMikdash. And what happened was that his blood spilled on the on the this is a little bit gruesome. The, the, the blood spilled on the on the floor of of, of the base of Megdosh, and it, and it and it and it boiled. It like started to boil, and it boiled like that for generations. In other words, showing that Hashem's anger was still was 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 it's a terrible thing, until Nevuzradin, the Roman general, came just before the Churb Mesa Megdosh, a crazy story in its own right. And he asked them what it was, they didn't want to tell him, and they were, they were embarrassed to tell him, but they had killed their own Kohen Godel, until someone told him. And he had thousands and thousands of, of, of scholars and children killed. He said, come, I'll calm him down. This is this, this evil general. He, he, a part of his evil scheme. He said, you know what, I see this Novi, this Kohen Godel, is not calming down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm him down. I'll kill hundreds and thousands of Jews, which he did. And it still didn't calm, eventually it calmed down, right? And then he took him to Golis. That general actually was interesting. That general himself, a side part of the story, didn't actually end up destroying the Beis HaMikdash. He actually did, did, did tshuva. He actually saw the hand of Hashem here. And he actually went and converted. He became a yid and did tshuva. It's a separate story. But anyway, so the Gemara says, Aaron Akoyan knew this idea. He knew that if they kill him, it's going to be terrible for the Jewish people. They won't have a tikkun. They won't be able, won't be able to be rectified. It's going to be a, a, a consequences which will be irreparable damage on the Jewish people. So he says, rather let it be totally, let, let it be hung on me. Rather let it be my fault. So that there shouldn't be a, 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 a situation of, like it says in Eicha, Yehoreg b'migdash Hashem koyen v'novi. That they should kill a koyen god in, in a holy time after, after Matan Torah. And there shouldn't be, it'll be irreparable damage. So he took it upon himself. That's why he participated. Yes, he tried to delay it as much as he could, but it didn't work, but he did participate. Why? Let it be hung, let it, not because he wanted to serve a desire at all, but because he wanted to take the blame. Some soifer says a fascinating thing. This is the part that I said was dangerous. Some soifer says, this is the true meaning. You know, we talk about self-sacrifice and giving up your life for Hashem. What do we call that in Hebrew? Mesirus nefesh, right? Mesirus nefesh. We talk about all the hidden that have mesirus nefesh and give their lives, not to, not to do an Aveira and so on and so forth. That's true, that's beautiful, and that's what it's normally called, right? It says that some soifer, the ultimate mesirus nefesh. Listen to this. The ultimate mesirus nefesh is giving up the nefesh, not the goof. It's called mesirus nefesh. Ultimate mysterious nefesh is to give up your spiritual destiny, to give up your soul for Hashem. That's why I said it's dangerous, because no, you know, that could be interpreted very dangerously. You know, I think I know better, it's good for God if I'll do an Averia. No, chas We never ever let us say that. Unless you're on the Madrego of Aaron Akoyan. Or David HaMelech. David HaMelech is a, sim- a similar thing. There's a Gemara that says that David HaMelech wanted to serve Aved Why? Because he was under threat from Afshalom. Afshalom was going to kill him. So his son is going to serve a Zara. He wanted to do a Vedazara. So he asked him, what you, why? He says, because it'll be such a chil, it'll be a desecration of Hashem's name. If, if people will talk that a son killed the father of the king. So he wanted to do something wrong so that they should say that he died because of his Averis. So there shouldn't be a chil of Hashem. should be a desecration of Hashem's name. Right? Again, no one can make this, 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 this assessment. Only someone like David Melach or Aaron Akoyen. But Aaron Akoyen made this assessment. He was, he was ready to give up his own life. He didn't care. 
He would have given up his life, just like Chor did. But then, it would be, then, then there would have been irreparable damage to, to the Jewish people, spiritually and physically. And he said he's not prepared to do that. So he gave up. He said, I'm prepared to engage in Avoid Zorah. I'm prepared to engage in idol worship to protect the Jewish people, physically and spiritually. And Hashem saw that. And Hashem, who knows what people are thinking, and Hashem knew, who knew that Aaron's intentions were completely pure. And not only that, that for him it was the ultimate mysterious nefesh. To give up your spiritual destiny, that's worse for a tzaddik especially. If a yid really understands the true meaning of spiritual destiny, he'll know that to give up your life, right? As, as the Mepharshim say, that a yid really has to understand. We don't always understand, it's hard for us to understand. But a yid has to understand that spiritual death is worse than physical death. Who would appreciate that more than Aaron HaKoyin and yet he was ready to do it? To protect the Jewish people. And Hashem said, if that's the case, we forgive, and you'll be the Kohen Gadol, you'll continue to be the Kohen Gadol, and you'll be the Holy One, separate from Hashem, because it's unbelievable. Right? Why? Because his motives were nothing but to make a Kiddush Hashem, to protect the Jewish people, to protect their spirituality, so that there should be more Kiddush and more godliness in the world. Right? This was the Tikkun for Haran. Because Haran's, Haran also had mysterious nefesh, but he was wishy-washy mysterious nefesh. Adam Arishan didn't even have self-control, so he ate the fruit and didn't protest the heresy of the Nachash. Haran was given the opportunity to have the, that self-control to the point of giving up his life. He didn't really do it because he did it conditionally. Aaron, Aaron was the ultimate mysterious nefesh because he gave up his life, not physically. He gave up his life spiritually, which, which for him was worse, much worse. And much more difficult, and he was prepared to do it for the sake of Hashem. But the people didn't know that No, correct. So, but Hashem knew. Sorry? What's the lesson for which people? For the people that. No, so you're right. In other words, like this. If, if he would have had. So he knew, no. So if the choice would have been, I mean, let's understand the choice here. He saw their gung-ho on this, right? If the choice would have been to stand up to them and say, absolutely not, and they would have listened, that's good. Then of course that's a better choice. But he knew that wasn't going to happen because he saw what happened to Khur. Maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's part of the pshat. Or maybe that was part of the lesson afterwards that they understood why that happened. Why they were able to get shuvah was because Aaron Akoyan stood up for them. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe that was part of it. Because right? we know it, so maybe they knew it too. I mean, that's, we, we learn it, maybe they knew it too. Yeah. And he says, that's the pshat, the aleph. The aleph is always, is always a symbol of Hashem. You know, like it says when we say Shema, uh, we say the word Echad. Aleph Ches Dalet, right? Aleph Ches Dalet, the Ches is eight, the seven heavens and the earth. The Dalet is the four directions of the earth. And the Aleph is to remember that everything is subservient and surrenders to the Aleph. Aluf the master of the universe. Right? And he says a beautiful thing. He says, and this is also the Pshat, you know, I've shared this with you many times, but he says a bit of a different angle on it. You know how the Gemara says that a true servant of Hashem is someone who revises his learning 101 times, right? So it says that a person who revises the learning 100 times, that's not a servant of Hashem. A person who revises the learning 101 times, that's a true servant of Hashem, Right? So normally we explain it the following, which is of course true, that in olden times it was normal practice to revise the learning a hundred times, because they learned everything by heart. 
And therefore, that was the norm. If you do it 101 times, which means you push yourself, you go beyond your comfort zone, that is service of Hashem. He says a bit of a different twist in the context of this Peshat, that's beautiful. He says, good, so what's the number of 100 then? So 100 we know is like the, the perfection of the human being. Me'apa'amim 101 means that you're doing it only for the one. You're doing it for, 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 for Hashem. Right? So, so it says like this. When you learn Torah and you revise it, but it's not absolutely clear that you're doing it only for Hashem. You have a little bit of an interest. You like learning. You like academia. I don't know, whatever the case is. You want to be known as a Talmud Chochem. Whatever the case is, that's not a servant of Hashem. Me'apa'amim achas. If you revise your learning 100 times, it means you're really into it, but it's for achas. It's for the one Hashem. It's completely... Selfless and only for the sake of serving Hashem, that's a servant of Hashem. Right? So that's a pshat that Aaron was Haran to fix what Haran didn't do, but with Aleph, he did it completely selflessly. He was able to give up even his spiritual life for the sake of Hashem, and that's why he was the tikkun of what Haran didn't do. And that's a bit of a, a shedding light of, what, of the story of Haran, the story of Aaron, I mean, and his participation in the Egalizer. Okay. Now let's go to one last thing on the parsha. Turn off your, your, your. Let's go to number three. Okay. This is the. Uh, actually, comes early in the parsha, but it's a mitzvah of building the basin in the basin in the Mishkan. So, the Mishkan had different parts, right? You had the inside part, which had the Holy of Holies and the and the the, the altar of incense and the menorah, the candelabra, and the, the table with the showbread. Then there was the yard outside, which had, had the main altar, the Mizbech, upon which there was Korbanus, they used to bring the sacrifices. And that was all part of the rituals, the service of Hashem that used to take place in the, in the Egel Azar, right? In, in, the, in, the, in the Mishkan, I mean, in the, uh, right? in the, in the Besam English. Comes along Hashem and says in this week's parasha that you have to build a basin, which was like a preparation thing. The basin wasn't something you served Hashem through the basin, but it had to be a preparation. The Koyanim had to wash their hands and feet before they would do the Avoy. Let's have a look at it inside. It says the Pasuk, number three here. Right? You should make a copper basin. The Chanoi and its base, the Choyesh, is also copper. The to washing. When I sat to you should put it in oil made of in his bed. You should put it between the sanctuary and the, and the altar. When I sat to Shama Maim, and you should put water there. Aaron and his sons, the Kohanim, will wash their hands and feet there every day. When will they do it? So it says like this. It says two things. Have a look. When they come to the oil moed, oil moed was the structure. That's where the, which had the, it's called the pnim, the inside of the Mishkan, where they had the small altar for incense and the Holy of Holies and the candelabra, right? When they enter the oil mud, they should wash their hands. And they shouldn't die. Oi, another, another scenario. Or if they go to the outside altar to serve, to bring karbanas. Right? To, to uh, offer up a carbon to Hashem, then they have to wash their hands. So, so Rashi says, right? Rashi says, what does it mean, what does it mean they should wash their hands when they go into the oil moed, the actual building of the Mishkan, the inside? Rashi says, it means, it means, 
to bring incense in the morning and in the evening. Right? Morning and the evening. That gives another example to do more with Yom Kippur, but let's just keep this on a daily thing. So Ulmah Farshim asked, what, what was bothering Rashi? Like, the passage is very clear. Right? That you have to go in to, when you go into the oil moid, you should wash your hands. Or when you go next to the Mizbech to serve. Right? So there's a lot of discussion here, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing now, but I'll just share with you an idea that the Rebbe brings on this Rashi, and a, and a beautiful lesson from it. I want to go more to the spiritual lesson. Apparently Rashi was bothered by the fact, right, that the Torah says that the Koyanim, before they do their service in the Mishkan, they have to wash their hands. By the way, the, the, the Kiyar, one of the reasons we wash Negevas in the morning, right, the Lachen Shulchan Aruch, in the morning you have to wash on each hand uh, three times. There's a number of reasons for that. One reason is the famous Zohar, because we wake up in the morning, there's a spirit of impurity in our hands, we need to remove it. The other one is just to get ready for davening. But another reason is because we are all like Kohanim. It's like comes from the idea. And every day we wake up in the morning to serve Hashem in our own Mishkan, right? So the, the, the Chavimeh, we have to wash our hands just like the Kohanim did. To prepare ourselves to be focused. Like, but the Pasuk seems to be saying a very simple thing. The Pasuk seems to be saying, Kohanim, before they serve in the temple, have to wash their hands, right? And the Pasuk is saying, when they go in, either when they go into the Ohel Moed, or they bring sacrifices on the outer Mizbech, on the Mizbech that was outside. But what Rashi was bothered is, why does the Pasuk split it up? When they go into the oil moed, or they go to the Mizbech? Why don't they just say, when they serve Hashem in the Mishkan, they gotta, they gotta, they've got to, they've got to, they've got to wash their hands. Why do the Pasuk have to make a whole distinction between stuff they're doing inside, or carbon sacrifices that they're bringing outside? It's all the Mishkan, it's all service of Hashem, it's all stuff they're going to wear the priestly garments for, it's all part of the one Avoidah, right? So why, why split it up into two categories? So Rashi tells it like this, and, and without going into the whole intricacies of how Rashi arrives there, but this is the point. Rashi says no. There's a big difference. And this is what Rashi maintains halachically. When the Kohanim brought sacrifices outside, Every time they went close to the Mizbech to do something, they would have to wash their hands. So if they brought three or four Karbanas during the day, they had to wash their hands three or four times. If they did something new at the Mizbech, that each time they started a new ritual on the Mizbech that was outside, they had to wash their hands. However, when Kaihanim went inside, there it wasn't every time. Only morning and evening. Which is why Rashi says that he translates. What does it mean when they go into this inside sanctuary to, 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 to serve Hashem? Rashi says when they bring katoiris, incense in the morning and the evening. What Rashi means by that because the first thing I did in the morning inside was bringing katoiris, and the last thing was bringing the afternoon katoiris. So Rashi is saying that inside was only twice a day. Right? That's the, that's the meaning of Rashi. So at the end of this talk, the Rebbe learns a beautiful lesson from this. He says like this. We know... We are a Mishkan, right? It's a famous idea. The build a Mikdash, you will dwell in us. We are each, as we know, it means it doesn't say we'll dwell, it doesn't say I will dwell in it, it says I will dwell in them, which means we'll dwell amongst each and every single person, as we mentioned last week. Every home is a Mishkan, every, every person is a Mishkan, and so on. In our own Mishkan, there are two places where we serve Hashem. One is in the inside, and one is in the outside. The inside means where we are in the context of serving Hashem in spirituality. 
Inside means when we learn Torah, when we do a mitzvah, when we daven, that's all inside stuff. Outside means when we leave the inside, we leave the environment of Kedusha, and we go in to the outside world, which we're supposed to do. It's called, what he refers to in using the terminology of Hasidic philosophy, Avoides Habirurim, we go out not just to do Hashem's mitzvahs, to connect with Him, but we go out to refine and elevate the world. Okay. Both things need washing of the hands. Washing of the hands is symbolic of protection, spiritual protection. Remove anything that can stand in the way. Remove any impurity that could interfere with the way you're serving Hashem. Remove things that will distract you from the proper focus of doing it only for Hashem's sake, and so on and so forth. So yes, even in the inside you need to wash your hands. We can learn Torah and be not serving Hashem properly. We can learn Torah with arrogance. We can daven and be distracted. We can do a mitzvah and have foreign thoughts or distracting thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, and not really do the mitzvah in a pure way. But... It's certainly easy to serve Hashem in the inside, but you still need protection. But there are, oh, so now it comes, this is the difference. The protection you need when you're in the pnim is much less than the protection you need when you're outside. Yeah, when a person goes into the shul in the morning, or he goes to a shir, or he goes to, to do a mitzvah, light can, or whatever the case is, you need protection, but it's minimal protection. Once in the morning, once in the night, every so often you check yourself that you're focused, you're doing this for the right reasons. But you're on the right path anyways. I mean, you're learning Torah, you're doing a mitzvah. The protection is not that much. When you go out into the world and you're under threat of being influenced by the outside negative, toxic influences of the world at large, there, once in the morning, once in the the evening is not enough. There, you need constant protection. That's an amazing lesson that when a person is going out, we have to go out. We are sent out. We have to engage with the world. But know that the world is a very... That's that's like the chitzah. That's the outside courtyard. When you're bringing carbonus, you're bringing sacrifice, you're elevating the animal. You have to do it. We're supposed to do it. We are told to do it. But you have to know it's very dangerous. And therefore it's very dangerous. Once in the morning, once in the night, that was not enough. You have to keep rechecking. You have to keep protecting yourself. Keep, keep asking questions. Keep removing the things that get in the way. Otherwise you can land up not serving Hashem properly. And the protection there is much more necessary than the protection on the inside. And that's why there's a difference. That's the spiritual lesson from this halachic rashi. Okay.